Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. I'm Angela Brown, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader at Niche. Today, you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen to it on the go. You can find all of the resources that are mentioned here and the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. Okay, knowing that we have lots of questions <laughs> to get to, I'll go ahead and get us started. Good afternoon and welcome everyone. I'm Angela Brown, the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for K-12 here at Niche. Our K-12 webinars are officially back and I am thrilled to kick things off with this topic and our esteemed guest, Chuck English. I'll be turning things over to him in just a moment for an introduction and to review a few terms that will be guiding our discussion today. But first, I want to go through just a couple of housekeeping items that tend to pop up during these sessions. So the first is that we had a lot of questions, as I mentioned, submitted in advance. So we will try to cover everything that we can. But if you have questions that pop up during the live webinar, you can enter those in the console on the right side of your screen. Again, we'll do our best to cover both of the advanced questions and the questions that come in with the live audience. But if you have a question that we don't get to during the session, we will have our contact information for you at the end of the presentation. You're welcome to reach out to either of us with any lingering questions that you have. The second thing I want to mention is that this presentation is being recorded. We always have folks ask, and we've got you covered there. That recording will be posted on our Enrollment Insights blog and will also be delivered to your inboxes tomorrow morning, so keep an eye out for that. And with that, I'll let Chuck introduce himself, and then I will switch slides so we can go over some key terms for our discussion today. Great. Uh, first of all, Angela, thank you um, so much, and it's uh, great to have you back um, in the saddle. And um, and thank you to Nietzsche as well for uh, the, this uh, this opportunity and for all that you do in support of uh, K-12 schools. I mean, it's really incredible. Uh, I'm Chuck English. Uh, I uh, work with, partner with actually, uh, independent schools uh, in creating uh, marketing, messaging, and branding uh, initiatives. Uh, one of the ways I'd like to describe it is that uh, we help schools discover what makes them one of a kind and then use those insights uh, to drive enrollment and other strategic results, uh, as I said, through branding, marketing, and messaging initiatives. Um, so, I mean, that's me for now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Let's jump over to our terms. So yeah, I, I thought it would be helpful because we're gonna be talking about all of these things to get some of this kind of uh, rudimentary nomenclature down. Uh, and, and so uh, I, you know, I, wa I wanted to go through this. So the first thing was what, what is a brand? And if you go online, you can drive yourself crazy trying to come up with definitions. And um, over the years uh, of doing that, um, I actually, this is this is you know my definition of of a brand for schools. So a school's brand is a representation of the complex relationship that it has with parents and other stakeholders. And uh, one of the ways that I help people kind of visualize that is uh, by um, you, you know giving reference to you know the the these kind of uh, standard or discussion that you hear about between partners where, um, one somebody says, "Do you love me?" And the other person says, and then follows up by saying, "Well, why do you love me?" And if you think about this in terms of a person, if you thought about all of the reasons that you you know you have feelings for a particular person, it would involve everything from the way that person, what that person does, and what they say, and the way in which they do it, and the way in which they say it, and their and what you expect, what they've done in the past, what you expect them to do in the future. You know, their personality, uh, the way they treat other people, um, the way they express themselves. It goes on and on and on and on, but, but, but a school is no different. Um, there are all of those various ways in which you, in which parents relate to a school, and all of those things taken together, I think, are what creates the brand. Um, positioning is uh, how a school just what this says, differs from its competitors. The key though here is in the context of parents' perceptions and needs. So positioning is not just what makes your school different 
from the school down the road. Positioning is what makes it different from the school down the road as it relates to what parents are, uh, are interested in and looking for. And then finally, you know, value proposition kind of becomes a, an expression of positioning. So value proposition connects a value proposition. And by the way, I think schools can and should have more than one value proposition. I can explain that at some point. But uh, a value proposition connects three things. It connects uh, what your school does best with what competitive schools don't do as well and what parents in a particular segment are looking for. So those three things together um, really form uh, a, a value proposition um, that, that, you know, that can come to life more in what you, uh, I, I read this great quote recently, which is that uh, a value proposition is not, is, is not what you describe, it's what you deliver. Um, I think we get hung up a lot on words, but we should be thinking more about um, actually what happens uh, in the schools that we're marketing. So there are my That's a great quote. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very powerful quote. So now we will transition to our questions. Oop, there we go. So the first one, this is an interesting one because I, I think that lots of people are going to nod their heads with this one. Can you discuss a unique value proposition versus a distinct value proposition? Interesting. The majority of private schools offer very similar products and parents don't seem to seek uniqueness in their schools. It seems that nine out of 10 UVPs could have any school name attached. I certainly have my thoughts on this, but Chuck is our, is our, our thought leader for this session. I'll let you start. Um, uh, my first thought actually was that it takes a pretty dim view of parents. Uh, uh, I, I was I was really, taken aback by that actually. I, I and and I, I think that the other thing that I that I found interesting about this is that I'm just reading it, sorry, is that you, you know it says that um majority of private schools offer very similar products. So I, I, a, I, I, I think it depends on how you define the product. I mean it you know and and I, I don't necessarily agree with that to be honest with you. Uh, because I think that the, the product is defined not only in, you know, what a school might offer in terms of curriculum or extracurriculars or athletics or whatever it might be, but it's also defined in, in the experience that, the, that is offered at the school. And, and I think that when you start getting into that, um, it, it, it's much easier uh, to differentiate. Uh, so, you know, you can have two schools that have very similar offerings from, let's say, curricularly and, and even in terms of extracurriculars, but the experience at each of those schools might be very different. And I think parents perceive that um, and uh, might know what they want or don't want. So I, 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 I think that if you peel back the layers, um, you probably find that 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 the premise here is not true, which is that you know nine out of ten UVPs could have any school name attached to it. I, I um, anyway, that I don't know what you think, Angela, but that would be my take on this. Yeah, I, I agree, and I would also say that what I think this question actually points to is the need for this discussion because I think on the surface it looks like many private schools offer similar products. It's difficult to make distinctions if you're just looking at websites because a lot of schools do say a lot of the same things and highlight a lot of the same features instead of focusing on benefits. But just because there is a challenge in sharing and telling stories about your unique value proposition, it doesn't mean that you're offering the same products as, as the school down the street. What it means is there is a very strong need for schools to be able to hone in on what their unique products are and articulate them clearly so that those differences are more visible. I think that's the real issue. 
I, obviously, I mean, I, I agree with that. And, 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 you know, the other thought that comes to mind is just, you know, if you use the definition of brand that I put forward, right, then, then I think that, um, I, I think that, you, you know, schools, uh, two schools can have a very similar pro product, whatever that means, product offerings, uh, uh, but have very different brands. I mean, very different ways of delivering it. And like I said, the experience can be very different. The parent body at each school can be quite, you know, quite different. So I, 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 um, I, I, I agree with your conclusion that this does speak to the need for um, a more in-depth conversation about this. Great segue to our next question. Our school has successfully operated a self-paced mastery learning virtual high school and graduated thousands of students. How do we overcome the negative stigma of virtual learning in the COVID era? Um, I, I, you know, we obviously had these questions before, and so um, um, it, w one of the things that I thought about was I, I immediately went to to copy, you know, ad copy or some kind of messaging copy, but I, I and I'll I'll tell you what that is, and and I think that with behind that is 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 the uh, you know is is the the sub substantive uh, marketing uh, answer to this so you know you know i wrote something that went something like you know uh you know for for us for abc school whatever this is you know virtual learning isn't a crisis response uh it's the it's been the path to our student success for however many years and, and you know i think i think to me that you know that would be you know that would be the key the key would be to uh, point to the to the years and years. It sounds like the the school's been around for a long time. Um, point to the years and years of success and the uh, advantages, you know, to virtual learning that existed, you know, before COVID. Um, and uh, I, you know, I, I don't think it's I don't really think it's um, that big a challenge. And I also want, I mean, there's also got to be, you know, whatever the, whatever the benefits of, uh, of virtual high school were three years ago, haven't changed, you know, so, so, uh, you know, I think that, um, I, you know, I think, I think it's coming back to those and, and reminding people of those. And, you know, I even, you know, I, I, you know, the other thing that I thought about was, you know, you know, you could have a lot, I mean, I thought that you could have a lot, a lot of fun with this actually, you know, so if you think about all of the, um, you know, all, all of the Zoom gaffes that we've, you know, seen over the last two years, right? And, you know, I kind of imagined, you know, an ad or something like that, uh, that, you know, said, you know, we, we were, you know, we, we were doing Zoom before so-and-so got caught in their shorts or something like that. I mean, I, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think that would be a, a humorous way of, of, you know, making the same point. I, I love the idea of, emphasizing the fact that your program is not born out of crisis and that there's actually a much more intentional and bigger why behind the way that you're delivering your education. Um, one thing that I would add that I actually did at my previous school when we were operating in a hybrid model during the 2020-21 school year when many independent schools were open but still offering a virtual option to families who did not feel comfortable sending their children to school um, in person was to create a video that showed what virtual learning looked like for students in that environment and how it was different from what many families were experiencing at their kitchen tables at home where kids had their cameras off and they were disengaged and your child may have had their hand raised for a period of time and an instructor might have ignored them or not seen them. We wanted to help families to see that virtual learning doesn't have to be awful. It actually can be very effective under the right circumstances with the right tools for the right students. And so we created a, it was 
not easy <laughs> to coordinate filming a virtual learner from home and juxtapose that with footage that uh, was also filmed on campus. But we were able to demonstrate to prospective families that virtual learning doesn't have to be terrible. And if that's something that you want, that's something that we can provide in a way that feels better and looks different from what you might be used to. Uh, and look at the other thing that that, you know, that that I, I think it's a great idea. And the other thing that that points to is just the power of testimonial, right? I mean, if you, yes. you know, if you have, um, you know, some of these thousands of students who have graduated from the school, you know, talking about their virtual experience and the difference it made in their lives and, you know, whatever the prevailing uh, needs, conditions were that led them to that in the first place. But uh, I, I um, anyway. And look, and look. The other thing too is, is you you know, uh, I think that there's a particular, a, probably a particular target market or target segment that is still interested in this. And, and I think you know, obviously, you know, you know, you need to hone into that. So, absolutely. This next question, and this is a good one for the schools that that are facing this issue, and I'm interested in hearing your take. As a school reaches student capacity, how do marketing strategies change? Is there value in or even improving strategy for marketing each division separately? So this is a school, it looks like they're K-12 or PK-12. They have an elementary school, middle and high school. It's actually two questions. <laughs> we have question one about how you continue to market when, when your school is, is full. And the other piece about uh, whether or not there's value in marketing divisions separately. I agree. There's two questions, and I, I'm I'm not even necessarily sure what the second has to do with the first. <laughs> uh, but um, in my thinking with this, I actually I, I actually uh, focused on the second question first, um, and the answer to that question in my mind is. Uh, a absolute unequivocal yes. Yeah. Um, and um, I know lots of schools that uh, market um, their divisions as destinations um, uh, and and thrive uh, thrive on that from an enrollment point of view. Uh, I, I, there's all kinds of reasons to do that. Um, so uh there is there is value there are proven strategies um that i think that abound in schools uh that do that uh so that 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 would be the answer to number two for me and from the first part is you know how do marketing strategies change i think you have to be really careful about that because um first of all you can't ever rest on your laurels uh, and the fact that you know a school is at capacity this year doesn't mean that it will be next year uh, and and it would be very uh, be a big mistake to to make the assumption that that was going to happen so I, I I'm not sure that uh, marketing strategies really should change uh, and, uh, you know, look at, I mean, there lots of people who say that there's a uh, tremendous value, marketing value in having a wait list. I mean, that, you know, maybe that's, you know, a little bit of the way that things might change, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. My take on that would be, you, you know, if, if you're doing something that got you to the point of being full, keep doing it. Just, 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 just keep doing it because. If you take your foot off the gas pedal, um, you're going to have a problem. You know, you're going to have a problem two or three years down the road, uh, and and it's hard to recover from that. So, I completely agree. Um, that's that's a, a question that I've seen a few times, and I can say that based on a survey that we're currently processing the data for, State of Enrollment Marketing Survey, it is bubbling to the surface that even though a lot of schools have continued to experience this increased interest, attrition is becoming an issue mm. uh, where it wasn't as much last year, but we've, we've seen some of that data tick up a little bit comparing our 2021 survey to 2022. And so the, 
the tea leaves are already indicating that for schools that are fortunate enough to be at capacity, which is not everyone, I think there's also a narrative out there that, you know, independent schools in particular are all enjoying, you know, these amazing, this COVID bump, right? And that's, that's true for some schools, but it's not globally true. We are starting to see some increases in attrition, which indicates that an increased focus on retention is very, very important. But there are also some headwinds that could have an impact that have nothing to do with what you're doing at school, but that need, you need to be prepared for. You know, inflation continues to be an issue. The stock market is still very volatile. There are a lot of economic factors at play that could cause some tension for families as they're thinking about the way that they allocate their budgets in the future. And so for schools that charge tuition in particular, that is something that you should definitely keep an eye on. And all of that is to say, I agree with Chuck 100%. Being full does not mean that you should stop marketing. This is a tough one. <laughs> and and I, I, I wonder how, how one can overcome something like this. And there are other you know, uh, major metro areas in, in the US and thinking of New Orleans in particular as another one that's kind of bubbling up to the surface that might be dealing with this for a school that is dealing with a lot of violence locally that's getting worse and people are relocating as a result. How can you grow your school under those circumstances? Um, one of the obvious answers, I mean, this is a little tongue in cheek was, you know, move to the burbs, but, uh, <laughs> uh but <laughs> I assume that's not, uh, that that's not an option. Um, I, I, I think that, I think that people will come, will not just schools, by the way, but but people will come to a school uh, if it has value to them. Um, you know, just not wherever, but but to you know to a certain degree wherever that is. I mean, I think we've seen in many markets that people will travel. Um, you know, people will, will drive for an hour to get to a school if they, you know, if they have to. So I, I, I think that, you know, the first thing that came to my mind as I thought about this was, you know, you have to continue to offer value. You have to continue to provide a reason uh, for, for parents to come to that school. Security you know, security issues aside, right? I mean, that 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 to me that that was the first thing, uh, and you know, there could be ways of dealing with uh, some of the security issues. Obviously, you know, security measures that are being taken at a school, uh, making sure the kids are safe getting in and out of the school, busing to the school. Um, I, I think that there are um, there there are certainly ways of of dealing with that, and and it comes back to the first point that I made, which is that you know people do not have to live uh, in the immediate uh, environs of where the school is. They can live elsewhere and come to that school. Um, and if you provide significant value, they will do it. They will consider it, and they will continue to come. And you know, I think that meeting some of the security issues. Um, you know, addresses parents' physical concerns. And there's probably a lot of programming to be done around that, a lot of uh, programming for parents uh, that could be done around that in terms of, you know, dealing, you know, dealing with these security issues and even helping parents help their children, you know, deal with some of the issues and some of the things that are going on and some of the things about which, you know, their, their kids are scared. So, uh, but, you know, at its core, I think it's about value and uh, being assured that parents will will come if the if the value is is there. I agree, and I I think it it is one of those situations where there's an opportunity to lean into your messaging around your institution's brand and supplement that with things that you know are top of mind for prospective families. And I think safety is 
really top of mind for a lot of parents right now, particularly after what happened in Uvalde at the end of last school year, there's a lot of anxiety and raw emotion around ensuring that regardless of what type of school your child attends, that your children are going to be safe. And to, so to the extent that you do have a strong security presence on your campus, I'm not sure what the campus safety situation is for this particular school. Um, if you don't, that might be something that is worth your senior leadership team really talking about and considering improving um so that you can share that information with prospective and current families and there's probably some messaging around that that you can incorporate into your website into your communications flows in the admissions process um, you may even want to call that out explicitly and with some programming but if you know that that is an issue for families beyond what you offer and what's unique about your community i think it's important to make sure that they get the message that regardless of what's happening in the wider community, their children will be safe at your institution. Of course, yeah, I agree. The next question is, what are, if you are marketing an entire school district instead of just one school? I have thoughts on this one too, but I will let you start, Chuck. My, my first thought when I read this was, what difference does it make? Uh, I, 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 you know, Starbucks has uh, thousands of stores and, you know, retail retail companies do the same thing and car makers do the same thing and they still market. They still have to market themselves and all of the same principles, uh, I think, still, still hold true, uh, you know, in terms of brand and positioning and uh, value uh, propositions. So, I, 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 I think that um, I, I think that you would market a district um, in, in the same kind of way. Look at independent school districts have competition, you know, competition from uh, independent schools, from you know, privately owned schools, from charter schools, uh, so from virtual, from online schools. I mean, they, they, they do have competition, so it, it, it is possible to. It, it, you know, it's possible to make all of all of the positioning and value proposition uh, tools work um, for an independent school in this district as opposed to an individual school. I, I, you know, I, I uh, suppose that one of the challenges um, in a district is ensuring or trying to ensure that each of the schools within the district is living up to the brand. Um, and that that but that's not a it's it's sort of a marketing question. It, it, it I mean, it, it really it is in the sense that to the degree that marketing um, product is part of marketing. Uh, so, I mean, that that's a challenge. But to me, that's more of a that's less of a challenge for the the, the marketing folks in this district. And that would be much more a challenge for the. Uh, you know, for the leadership that are that that are in, in you know are tasked with um, delivering the product or delivering the experience within each of the schools. I, I guess that's where the rubber you know kind of hits the road on this is is that. But from a marketing point of view, I, I don't see the big difference. I I had a similar initial reaction to this question, and and I. We do a lot of work at Niche with schools across categories. And so I have seen how this has played out with districts as well as private and independent schools, boarding schools. And fundamentally, it really is the same. I think the differences come with some of the considerations that you might have in a district. So it's a little bit more of a challenge to ensure things like brand compliance when you're dealing with lots of different schools as opposed to just one. Um, it, you have to think about things like people who don't speak English as their first language, as your marketing and accessibility. And so there are some nuanced factors that you have to take into consideration when you're marketing a district, but tactically and from a brand standpoint, there are very, very few differences. And uh, look at I, I I see and I'm sure you see the same thing. I mean I see 
uh, adhere about uh, independent school districts that are spending uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing initiatives, hiring firms, um, you know, running campaigns. So uh, they're they're doing it. They're figuring, and some of those are, have been successful. Um, so it, you know, they're figuring out how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I am seeing in our data is that. The private schools have been, and charters to some degree, have been a little bit faster to adopt digital marketing tactics. And so if I worked for a district, that's something I would be paying attention to because you, to Chuck's point, are competing with all of those types of schools, especially now with this increased uh, focus from parents and caregivers on school choice. And so I would probably rethink the mix of tools that you're using as you're marketing your district, um, just to make sure that you don't get left behind. But in terms of the approach, it's, it's essentially the same. Our next question is, what is the best way to discover your school's value without much help or support from administration? I have a basic problem. I have a problem with the basic premise of this question. And it goes back to, you know, it goes back to the definitions that I was talking about, because value, you, value is something that is delivered. Value doesn't live, you know, in words and images. Value is delivered. And so, I, I don't, I don't really, I think it's, I, I think it's impossible to be honest with you. I do not think you can, uh, um, you, you can discover. I'm not sure even sure what that means. Your school's value, uh, without much help from administration. I, 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 it's the administration that is delivering that value uh, in the decisions that the, the the you know in the decisions that leadership make on a daily basis and on an on a annual basis and uh, and and in the experience within a school. So I I I I. Do, I don't, I, I just don't think there's a way to do that. I don't think you can, I don't think you can, um, you know, we, we can go into all kinds of things. You know, we could talk about surveys as, as a way of doing these things and, you know, focus groups with parents. And I, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's the kind of, uh, maybe that's the kind of answer that this person was looking for. Uh, I just, I just got, you know, hung up on the, the sort of fundamental, um, dissonance in in this question in the first place and so look at it you know how, how in general how do you discover value uh, you know there's um, you know millions of not millions but there's dozens of ways of doing that you know like i said uh, focus groups uh, surveys parent review sites uh, uh, just talking to people you know in the grocery store talking to people in the at pickup and drop off. I mean, uh, at at school events. I mean, all you know, there's there's a myriad of those kinds of ways. Uh, but you got to get past the fundamental um, that 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 fundamental dysfunction about this question. Yeah, I mean, if with all of the ways that you can approach zeroing in on, you know, in a LinkedIn post today, referred to it as your secret sauce. If that's what you're trying to get to, none of those tactics will work without support from administration. You know, I mean, you can, you can execute the survey, you can do all of those things, but for one, it's a very heavy lift for a single person. And if you don't have buy-in from administration on the importance of knowing that message, of ensuring that you're delivering that message, and the execution of that brand, then it's 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 a failure before you even start. And so I would actually take a few steps back to dig into why it is that administrative administration is not supportive of this work. And digging into that a little bit further, um, I know it, it takes time to do that and everybody wants to hit the ground running with that great brand and that strong messaging. But if administration is not behind you, then it's it's a fool's errand. So I would start there and, and work on that first. This next question, oh, I like this one. <laughs> I just read an article 
saying that direct mailings are making a comeback, especially to the younger millennials for whom a piece of mail is novel. Are you seeing this trend as well? I, uh, to answer the, the last part first, uh, I uh, unfortunately am not seeing that trend. Uh, I have for years been trying to convince schools uh, to use more direct mail. Uh, I think that it is uh, I think that it's it's actually a, a great way of uh, I think it's a great way of marketing. Uh, USPS has this um, program called I think it's called every every door direct marketing and you can pick uh, households within zip codes within portions of zip codes that you want to receive your your you know your direct mail so you can, uh, you know, you can use all the data that you have access to in order to be able to figure out where the families that you are targeting are living and then be able to deliver something to them. And you have, because you can be so sp specific and therefore so relevant, you know, you can make this marketing material even relevant to where those people are living. I mean, it's it's it, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a brilliant opportunity. Um, it's a little expensive. I mean, it's about um, twenty cents a piece, I think. Uh, so you know, to to the you know ten thousand pieces is going to cost you two thousand dollars plus printing costs and design and all of those things, but. Um, uh, I, I, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, what, what I was able to find, maybe that's what this person was alluding to, was that actually USPS did do um, some research, and their research says that 90% of millennials love receiving mail, uh, and they liken it to, uh, you know, that, that they liken it to this affinity for physical media, the same reason that uh, apparently millennials are buying vinyl records and, and things like that. Um, I, I would think that it's just you know such a uh, so, so distinct from the email that that you know people get ubiquitously, obviously. So I, I personally, you know, I, I'm not seeing the trend, but I, I'd love to be the trendsetter. And uh, uh, I mean, I think there's tons of opportunity uh, when it when it when it comes to uh, when it comes to direct mail. I have a few thoughts on this, starting with some good news for Chuck. Uh, and it's it's funny, this conversation is so timely because I have been elbow deep in, in research for the last few weeks. And I one thing I observed in looking at our recent survey, professional survey for enrollment and marketing, is that the use of direct mail has actually increased since last year. Um, and I, I agree for all of the reasons that Chuck mentioned that 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 is a positive thing if it's used very strategically. I do want to have a brief aside just to clarify that when we're talking about millennials, we're actually talking about parents now based on the age group. Young millennials are 26. So if you're talking about Gen Z, that is also applicable, but I, I want to be careful when we talk about millennials because I think unfortunately that's become a catch-all term for young people and that's not actually correct. Millennials right now are between the ages of 26 and 41. So if we're talking about millennials, we're actually talking about prospective yeah. parents. Um, if we're talking about students, that takes us to Gen Z. And again, I think the more targeted and the more personal you can be with your direct mail, the more effective you're going to find it to be. Doing the, I'm gonna buy a list and just spray and pray approach is not necessarily as effective, but there are some tactics, as Chuck mentioned, that can be very useful. There are ways that you can use your CRM system if you have one to tag specific families who have already engaged with your school to send direct mail to them as a follow-up, um, coming hot off of the, Enrollment Management Association conference last week, I went to a great session by one of our partners, actually, the Bren Mar School in Maryland, and they have a magazine that they started specifically for prospective students. And so if you're a prospective student that is in their admission pipeline, you will receive this magazine that is made just for you. It has a student featured on, their co on the cover. 
every issue is different. It's your own special piece of mail and every issue walks you through a day in the life of the student and highlights some things that integrate with admissions messages, which, you know, is a heavy lift. They are working with an external partner to make that work. But those are just a couple of examples of ways that direct mail can be very effective as long as you're being thoughtful and strategic about your approach. I, 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 I agree with you. And, and the only other thing that I would add is that, uh, you know, response rates on direct mail are not particularly high, you know, but they are higher than uh, on email. And so, you know, part of this is just having the right expectations. You know, if you send out 10,000 pieces of direct mail, um, you know, and you get 100 responses to that, you've done exceptionally well. Um, and, and, you know, if you get 50 responses to that, you're doing very well. So I, 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 and, and look at 50 responses are valuable, very, very valuable to a school. If you get, if you were to send out 10,000 pieces of direct mail and get 50 people that want to come to an event at your school, my gosh, I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. So I, I think that, you know, part of it is expectations and, and just putting yourself in the shoes of the recipients of direct mail and the way you look at direct mail, right? So you know, I know what I do. I mean, I, I, you know, you kind of go through it. If most of it ends up in the recycling bin, um, but if there's something that catches my eye, if there's something when I'm going through that that speaks to something that I'm looking for at that current moment, I'll, I'll put it aside. And I, I don't think I'm, you know, I don't think I'm that different than than most people. So, I, I, I again, I, you know, I, as long as you adjust your expectations. I think it's a great, great idea. Our next question is, we have hired strategists to help us with our value proposition, and even they couldn't put their finger on it. That's quite the conundrum. They instead suggested we undergo a strategic plan first, which is happening too slowly, but not with them. What can I do until then? Um, Well, I mean, there are all kinds of things that, uh, all kinds of sort of DIY things that schools can do to think about and uncover, you know, their their value propositions, their uniqneness, and uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if we want to necessarily go there in terms of talking about this. Um, uh, you know, part of part of those things, by the way, relate to my definition of a value proposition, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, thinking about the things that your school does best, and then thinking about um, the the things that your competitor school do best, and think about, you know, this is the, this triple Venn diagram that I often use, right, and then what are parents looking for, and you kind of put them together, and you want to find, you know, what you do best, and your competitive schools don't, but are things that parents are looking for. Um, it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of, you know, it takes a lot of thought and a lot of talking to people. But, I mean, I, I that's that's something that some, you know, that is a kind of DIY thing that a school can do. Uh, uh, part of my reaction to this question was, uh, a strategic plan will not help you uncover your value proposition. Those are two very, very different things. I mean, strategic plans for schools are not marketing plans. They might precede a marketing plan. They might precede uh, those kinds of initiatives, but they are not the same. So I, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really get that. And um, the first, actually, the, the first part of this question reminded me of a conversation that I had a, a number of years ago um, at, at a workshop that I was doing on branding and uh, uh, a, a large school in a major city um, well, somebody at that school was telling me that they um, had just undergone this this branding and identity initiative, and um, from the company they were using, I had an idea of you know just how expensive this was going to be, and I said to this person, I said, oh, "That's great, you know, that's you know how how is that working out for you?" Um, and six months later, this person said to me, "Well, you know, I I I don't think that you know I don't think that this company really got it right." 
because you know we we're just not we just haven't been able to really use this very well and uh and i thought oh my gosh you know what what an incredible wasted opportunity and waste of money for the school so the the I guess that you know the first part of this is that if you hired strategists who couldn't uh, couldn't help you with your own value proposition, um, you know my reaction to that is that you may have hired hired the wrong strategists, and I I just don't you know I have I have not worked with a school I personally have I know Angela you worked with lots of schools too, but I have not personally worked with a school. Uh, where I was not able to uh, ascertain what the value or what value propositions were for the school, what the brand was, how they need to market themselves. Uh, I so the 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 premise of the question to me is um, is is really disconcerting. Agreed. I will keep us moving in hopes that we can get to some of our audience questions. How do you recommend increasing your school's visibility within a big city market? Suppose what it means, it, I'm not sure what somebody means by visibility in, in, in this particular case. Um, I, uh, look, look, there's lots of marketing tactics that, that, you know, that you can use, whether it's, you know, some kind of, uh, some, some, some kind of distinctive event uh, that only your school could could you know could could mount, and then using that as a, 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 a as a as a way of uh, garnering attention. Uh, there's lots of public relations initiatives, you know, and you know crazy zany kinds of things that you know schools can do um, to you know to garner some some attention. Uh, so I. I, I I guess that that's what they're they're talking about. I, I assume that we're not talking about you know normal kinds of you know marketing techniques uh, in in this case. Yeah, I mean, in, in case we are, there there are some things that I've heard of schools doing, particularly in highly saturated markets, like the one I'm in. I'm in the D.C. area. Um, some of the coastal markets can be very 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 saturated um, with school choices of all sorts of categories. But I would say in general, to the extent that you can be visible in your community, that might look like um, a series of sponsorships. It might be a co-branded event that you host on your campus with another organization or vice versa. Um, depending on what your school's strengths are, what your your brand is, you know, those are the lenses that I would look through in choosing those partnerships um, and the aspects of your programs that you want to highlight. You know, for one example, I once spoke to a school that had a very strong fine arts program that they were struggling to get visibility for, and they had their acapella group do free concerts. Um, in their local area where you could come and you could see this group perform at a place that was not affiliated with the school and then have the opportunity to ask questions and learn more. And so I think there's there are ways that you can get creative, um, but that visibility beyond normal day-to-day -day marketing tactics on an offline um, may just come from finding ways to partner with with people in your community and and to legitimately truly be be visible. Okay, this next one is we are a small faith-based school surrounded by high-performing public, Catholic, and private schools. What one area should we stress to make ourselves stand out in a crowded field? <laughs> I have my own opinion, but I'll let you go first, Chuck. The first thing that I thought of when I read this was faith. Uh, so, so if this is this is a faith-based school that uh, presumably is not Catholic because we're we're drawing out the fact that they're surrounded by uh, public Catholic and private schools. So, uh, like I said, the 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 first thing that stood out in my mind was whatever faith this school is. I, I, is what I would probably 
initially used to try and differentiate it from from other you know from other competing schools uh, i you know I, I don't know what that is and i you know my presumption is that there are parents families of that faith uh that might be you know therefore interested in the school and that be you know that that's an obvious starting point um there might be other people who are interested in that faith for a variety of reasons but that that is likely the 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 most obvious differentiator of this school and the place that i would start uh in terms of you know making it stand out I agree. I think part of the challenge of being a faith-based school and with all of these other types of schools that, that this particular person mentioned in the question is that you have to accept that that is not going to be for everyone. So you are already targeting a narrower pool of prospective families than you might be if you were a non-sectarian or not religiously affiliated school, a public school, a school of an Episcopal school even, you know, which can draw from a, a slightly wider range of families. So that's part, part of that is knowing that you're sort of competing with those other types of schools, but not necessarily, you know, you're really targeting families who want a faith-based education and they want to be part of a community where that is woven into the fabric of the curriculum. So once you have, have internalized that, then it's a matter of looking at what is it about your program specifically that might speak to those families. Is it, you know, the fact that it is a faith-based education and what does that actually mean? What does that look like? How does that impact the way that you approach problem solving, the curriculum, the way that you recruit families, hire teachers, all of that is very important. Um, so I, I think part of it is just knowing, you know, if, if you are a faith-based school, that's narrowing your pool, just like, you know, if you're a Montessori, it's the same thing. Not everyone is looking for that very specific type of instruction. Um, so that's a big part of it. And, and once you've kind of gotten past that, really leaning into the faith, the character, education, the values, you know, and, and what all of that means within the context of your environment um, is something that could be helpful to you and might make you stand out in a very positive way compared to some of your competitors. I mean, the only thing that I would add to that, Angela, I know we've got to go, but is that mm -hmm. um, having done lots of work with faith-based schools, um, uh, you know, that the using faith is a starting point uh, but I, I, the the one the the one caveat that I would throw out is that uh, you know the value, uh, and we don't see that word in this question, but you know the the value that you offer uh, has to extend well beyond the the faith of the school. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's not good enough to be a school that's of the same faith as prospective families and offer a, a substandard um, educational product. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, uh, from my experience, you know, that's just a, a caveat that needs to be uh, thrown out there. Anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this will be our last question probably because we're, we're running up on time. Um, so I'll try to make this go quickly. There we go. There's a delay in my slides advancing and what all of you are seeing. What suggestions do you have for leveraging your value proposition to get prospective families to know faster? We often think about getting to yes faster, and sometimes we want families to opt out sooner in the process. It's a great question. I love this question. I love the premise of this question. I think that, you know, whoever, whatever school is thinking in this kind of way um, is, is, you know, is really smart uh, because, uh, you know the standard thinking in terms for example in terms of yield you know is that you want to you you need to constantly be filling out that pipeline right and the, the more people you have in the pipeline the more people you're going to end up with and uh that this is you know uh, uh this question is really scratching below the surface on that and i and i love it you know for doing that and i i think that it's i i i i think that it is continuing to communicate to people who are in that pipeline 
the the value of your school, what differentiates your school, what's what's unique about your school, what the school's experience is. Uh, I don't. I think. I think that all of the reasons that you want to get get your uh, your your yeses to yeses, right? All, all the reasons are the are are the same reasons that uh, are or would dictate the same kind of tactics. I think too often that what happens is that um, you know you know uh, schools get families into a particular part of the pipeline. They make assumptions about the fact that they're going to stay there. Uh, they don't communicate with them. They stop or they don't, they, they, they communicate with them, but they stop uh, communicating in terms of, uh, you know, the value that a school offers. And, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's clearly a mistake. And I think that uh, uh, rectifying that mistake will do, will do what this person wants, which is getting prospective families to know. Perfect. So we have four minutes <laughs> before we hit time for folks who might have some questions that have popped up during our discussion today. So if you haven't had the opportunity yet, go ahead and enter those questions in the chat window. We'll try to address one or two. Um, I see a couple of people raising hands, but there isn't a way for me to call on you. So if you have a question um, and can enter it into the chat or the question module, that would be very helpful. Okay, we've got one here. When you have a value proposition, is social media the best way to promote it? It's a way. <laughs> I was, was going to say it's a good way. It, you know, these days, um, it's it's a uh, it's a good way. Um, you know, one thing that I would say is that there's lots of studies that show that. Um, uh, that word of mouth, face-to-face word of mouth conversations are far more impactful even than social media. And I think that, um, uh, you know, we're forced to use social media for a whole bunch of reasons, but uh, the, uh, the influence that parents can have on other parents, uh, you know, cannot be overvalued. And so, uh, things like your ambassadorial efforts become so important and just talking to every stakeholder in a school about, you know, the power of word of mouth. And uh, I, 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 I think that's important to mention. Agree. I mean, I, I, your value proposition truly needs to be woven into all of your marketing and your the experience that you're providing to your family. So it should be on your website. It should be in your social media. It should be in your digital ads. It should be in your admissions communications flows. It should be part of the way that you approach admission events, webinars, all of that. It is, it's, it's not a tagline or a message that you just use on one channel, but it, if it's used correctly, it should really be woven into the fabric of everything that you do. Including, by the way, I agree with you, uh, including <laughs> the lived experience of the school, right? Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. So next question is, what is the best way to market your value proposition when you have very little or no budget? Parent ambassadors don't cost much. Uh, and, and uh, I, you know, social media doesn't either, by the way, but, uh, you know, using it effectively does cost something. But, you know, parent parent ambassadors, uh, having an effective parent ambassador program is, uh, I think, more a matter of effort than it is cost. Um, and I I would uh, I I would certainly counsel schools to uh, think about how they can leverage the power of parent ambassadors and one-on-one -on -one storytelling. 
um, to uh, you know to 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 be able to really uh, ramp up their um, their marketing efforts. Uh, I think, and by the way, I mean, uh, you know, I think schools that have huge marketing budgets should be doing the same thing. Agreed. Agreed. We have one question about PD around video editing. This particular person is getting more and more requests for video and they're trying to balance what to do in-house versus what to outsource. I have some thoughts on this, but I'll turn it over to you first, Chuck. Go ahead. Unless you want to pass. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, Go ahead. I would say, for one, I think video is something that intimidates a lot of people, but it's much easier than you would think. Um, all you need is an iPhone, and you know, many schools provide iPhones to administrators. You can ask for one for your office. That's something that I did when I was, you know, on the other side of the desk. We had a team iPhone that we all used. It charged in my office. Whoever needed it at the time would grab it. There are lots of really great, relatively inexpensive tools for about $500. You can get pretty much everything you need to do in-house video. You can get a tripod, you can get a solid microphone with an adapter that plugs into um, an iPhone. You can get lighting, you can do quite a bit. You can get an umbrella that clips onto the tripod for when you're shooting in, in high sunlight situations. Um, you can get a handheld, uh, device that you can mount your phone onto that will keep it stable. So th there's a lot that you can do um, to take very high quality videos in-house. I would also say that in general, they don't need to be overly polished and produced anyway. People tend to respond better to more organic, man on the street feeling videos. If you think about the rise of platforms like TikTok, it is because people respond better and are more likely to consume content that hasn't been overly edited and polished. And so that's something I think we can all let go <laughs> of as marketers, um, but it's truly, it's not as difficult as you would think. Um, I know LinkedIn Learning and Udemy and some of these online um, learning platforms provide some very short tutorials that you can watch if you'd like to on things like Adobe Premiere, which is a really great video editing tool, um, iMovie works just as well in a pinch. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, but when it comes to, to in-house video, it's really, you can do more than you would think that you can, especially now. Um, so I don't be intimidated. You probably don't need to outsource it unless you're doing something really significant like a virtual tour or, you know, a, a, a sort of tentpole video that you want to feature very prominently as part of a branding effort or, or on your niche profile, for example. Um, for things like that, it's definitely worth considering outsourcing, but most day-to-day -day things that you're posting on social media and on your website, you can totally do in-house. One thing I would add, Angela, is that I agree with you, by the way, but that, that doesn't mean that you don't have to think about um, Oh, yes. <laughs> think, think, think about what it is you're trying to accomplish with this video and think about it strategically yeah. and therefore the content and who's speaking and what they're going to say and, you know, all it doesn't, it doesn't remove all of those considerations, so. Absolutely. I would also say that just because someone wants to be on video doesn't mean they should be. So be, be very thoughtful about who you put forward in these videos because they they are representing your institutional brand and your mission and so you know enthusiasm does not equal effectiveness so you, you have to be aware of that as well do we have time for one more talk i know that we're sure, over sure, sure, but... sure, sure. let's go okay like this. great this, this this is a toughie uh, how would we market and manage the messaging around a merger. That might warrant a whole other webinar, but we'll try to cover as much as we can in a short period of time. Um, wow. Market and manage the messaging. Uh, a lot of M's in there, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that the core of it has got to be why the merger is taking place in the first place. 
you know, why why are two schools? Uh, you know, you know what what's going on there? Is it a uh, it, you know, are there practical considerations? Are there philosophical considerations? Uh, I, I think that's probably, you know, that's probably where it would start for me in thinking about, you know, thinking about that, the rationale for the merger in the first place. Um, I, look at the, 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 there's cascading kinds of things that come to mind as, as I'm beginning to think about that. And, but, but, you know, that, that's where, if there had to be a starting point, that's where I would start. I would start, I would go back uh, to the to the strategic plan that preceded this, to the philosophical discussions that that went on, and I would I would ground the marketing in all of that and all of the initial thinking strategy and rationale that led to the merger in the first place. Perfect. I think that is a great place for us to stop because we, we hit our last question and I want to leave this up for just a moment for those of you who have hung on. Thank you for sticking with us for an extra six minutes, but I want to make sure that you have our contact information in case something comes to you at another time or you have a question that you just didn't get into that chat box in time. But otherwise, we are so grateful for your time this afternoon. Thank you to Chuck for answering all of these questions and, and sharing these insights with us. And uh, as I mentioned, we'll be sending the recording to your inboxes tomorrow morning. So please keep an eye out for that, share, and watch your inboxes as well for an invitation to our next webinar, which will cover some key insights from our State of Enrollment and Marketing Survey. Thanks, everyone. And thank Thanks. you again, Jeff. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Send those questions. <laughs>